Hello, season 19 is in the air, or perhaps it's on your doorstep, and there's an exhaustive array of extras talking to all sorts of people on that fine package. However, only Toby Haydoke's Who's Round chauffeurs you to interviewees like this one. It's the Club for Acts and Actors once again, the place of many a who's around, and I'm about to do the first one where uh, it's a sibling of somebody who's already done a who's round. So I'm going to ask my victim to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, my name is Timothy Block, and um, many, many, many moons ago, more than I care to remember, I played Tanner, who was a chauffeur driving a 1920s Rolls Royce in an episode of Doctor Who entitled Black Orchid. And uh, one of my memories, one of my main memories, was sitting in the driving seat of this um, roller with Moray Watson in the back. And uh, we spent a, a long time um, just chatting, about, you know, waiting for the inevitable. We're ready for you now. And uh, just chatting. And I think, I mean, I think at the time his marriage was not as happy as it could have been, or something like that, because we were sort of exchanging tales of sort of marital woe. But there you go. So oh, anyway, bless him. He, as we record this, he only died about three weeks ago, Murray. No. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I knew him. I knew him reasonably well, actually. Oh, right. What a lovely fellow. Oh right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, most of the time I had my back to him. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. So, um, do you remember how you got the book? It was directed by Ron Jones. Yes. So, do you remember, would you have had to audition for that? I think I must have auditioned. Um, I I don't remember any of that. In fact, when um, I was on tour in a thing, in a play called, I think it was called Wife, was it Wife Begins at 40? I think. I think it was that. It might have been another play. But Debbie Watling was in it. Ah, yes, yes quite. Who was as well one of the? Uh, who's, she was Patrick Troughton's. Patrick Troughton's assistant. And um, I, well, there were a lot of fans outside the stage door uh, waiting for Debbie Watling to come out. And uh, in my um, biography, it also said Doctor Who. So I came out. And um, they said, oh you, oh, you were in Doctor Who? You were Joe? I said, yeah, 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 I was. And they said, which episode? And I said, I've got no idea. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, what was it about? What was it about? I said, well, Peter Davidson was my doctor with a question mark on his shirt lapel. And the only thing I can remember about it, there was a cricket match. Black Orchid, Black Orchid, it was Black Orchid. I said, yeah, I think it was. How do you know that? Oh, you know, so it's that sort of, you know. Anyway, so, yeah, I was in Black Orchid, which went out, I did check earlier, 1982. Yeah. I was 38 at the time, and I thought I was going to swear then. <laughs> That's all right. Well, I could leave it out. No, no, well, I won't bother. Um, but I, I, I thought, my goodness, I was 38, but I looked, to me, I look like 25. You do? I, that surprises me. That well, well it was 1982. Even if it was made in 19... I was born in 1944. 
wow. So yeah, you were born the year after my mum. That's extra. Wow. The year what, after what, your mother. What is the secret then? You did you bathe in oil of ule? I do. How did you know? <laughs> you can tell. Because I would, I would have had you down as mid twenties. Well, not, not now. Well, now as well. No. In black orchid. Yeah, that's extraordinary. No, well, no. I, I, I thought it was extraordinary. Yeah. No. I, yeah. But it was. Yeah. So I don't remember how I got the part, or actually very much about the only bit of filming I remember. If you know, I mean, I didn't, but um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested. I'm, I'm marginally interested in old cars. I have a 1973 Saab, which I like, and it's sort of, people say, oh, we should get it painted, get it painted, and, and somebody else said, it looks like a pair of old jeans, you know, so anyway, so a 1920 roller, the gears, I think, I think they were still in the left hand, but reverse was very adjacent to first gear. So we were ready for the shoot, and the director, Ron Jones, Ron Jones the director said, Right, are you all right? We're ready to roll, and uh, stand by, here we go, and action. And we went backwards. <laughs> he thought I was pissing about. I wasn't, I mean, it was just so adjacent, you know, but anyway. So that's the only thing I really remember. Well, I wonder if maybe that's if the fact that you've got an interest in cars. That sometimes that's all it takes to swing an audition. Oh isn't it? well, I, I think I mean I think my interest in old cars. Then no, I mean I, I know oh, I know. Yeah, so yeah. Doctor inspired your interest in old cars. Well, that. maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I do remember walking around the cricket ground in my brown chauffeur's uniform. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. The memories I have, you know, happy memories. I don't actually remember what I said or how much I said. It was a supporting role, but it was fine, you know. But it was it was fine, you know. And uh, yeah. Well, and you've done a, a, a rare thing is that because um, the listener might not know is that your brother Giles Block had been in Doctor Who with Patrick Troughton. Uh, That's right, and he played a. Don't, well, no, don't tell me what it now. A Cyberman. No, he played a no. Dulcian. A Dulcian. Oh, a Dulcian. A peace-loving Dulcian. Oh, well, that's Giles all over. <laughs> yes, a peace-loving Dulcian. Yes. Well, yeah. So let's let's go back then. So you are you you are uh, uh, one of a, a pair of theatrical siblings. So tell us about your your background and 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 what what brought you to the profession. Well, um, when we were at school, Giles did a lot of house drama and acting school plays. I didn't really. And he joined the National Youth Theatre, which was run by Michael Croft, Croft yeah. who was at Allen's. Giles and I went to Dulwich, um, same school as Nigel Farage subsequently went to, but we won't go there. <laughs> I think not. And uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, so Giles, at the time, the National Youth Theatre was really only... Allen's and Dulwich College, both in Dulwich. <coughs> and I then started, I thought, this, this is a good idea. Maybe I, you know, should do this as well. So I started doing, helping to build the sets up uh, at Crystal Palace, up Gypsy Hill. They had the workshop there. 
and I would go up there and um, help build the sets <coughs> with a really nice guy called Brian Croft, no relation to Michael, and I would build the sets and help, help build the sets, and it was a great um, opportunity to stay up all night because we worked through the night, and it was you know and it was great. And I remember one night. I was on my bike and um, we were all completely plum tuckered in the middle of the night and I said well I'll go out and get some chocolate because those were the days when you had chocolate machines I don't know if they still exist do they still exist? I don't think they break them now well yeah anyway so um, I cycled along to the chocolate machine and put in whatever change I was given or had and took out all this chocolate and I was cycling back with it all in my shirt and a policeman stopped me and said what are you doing what have you got in your shirt so I said well I've got I've got chocolate for you know he said oh yeah where'd you get it from and he was all a bit, you know, a bit officious as the would be a young chap like me, um, riding a bike in the middle of the night with chocolate in his shirt. And I then explained I was working with the youth theatre down the hill and I was getting supplies in for... Anyway, he let me go. So that's how I started with the youth theatre. And after a bit, I got my first line in Henry V. Martin Jarvis was playing Henry V. I mean, it was... okay? That, it was fine. And my, my line was, Brother... Brother John Bates is not that the dawn which breaks yonder. This is when Henry V is going round the troops at night. So that was my that was my first line, and I have to, and then I got you know bigger parts and you know and, and that with the youth theatre, <clears throat> and that's really where my love of Shakespeare started. And the and the, and the first play I did, Richard Hampton yes. was playing Richard II and that was the first production I was involved in. How funny, how funny because I was thinking of Richard Hampton this morning, Right. maybe because I knew I was talking to you because I knew he'd done the National Youth Theatre, because right. he's friends with David Weston. I know David Weston, yeah. Because I was going to email David, because Richard Hampton is is villager in a, in, is in fact, he's in the Doctor's story directly before yours. Oh really? So I was going to ask David if he could put me in touch with Richard Hampton because he's had a great career um, yeah, yeah. To, do, to do this. Anyway, yeah. I digress. And uh, the first, my first involvement was at one point in, in Richard II. Richard II has a mirror when he's in prison and um, he, throws down, he throws down the mirror. I can't remember the line, but it was my job in the blackout to go and pick up the pieces of broken mirror. They weren't broken mirror, they were bits of metal that were held in the frame. So, so that was my first involvement. And then gradually I got um, larger part, larger and larger parts. And, um, well, I noticed some of them are preserved on film, aren't they? The, uh, the Troilus and Crescent. Oh, yeah, and yeah. The, uh, yeah, but I'll, I'll some of them on film, yes. Yeah. Not that I've seen them, and we're probably highly embarrassed to see them. But it was interesting looking at the cuts, because obviously it's always trumpeted that you know there are people like Martin Jarvis and people who did the youth theatre who go on to great things. But also, of course, there are people, because of the nature of the profession, who don't. And oh, you yeah. think how amazing, it, yeah, how, yeah. how extraordinary it must be to that early on have you know, play a lead. There was an actor called John Nightingale. Oh, well, well he died. Who sadly died. Did he? Is oh, God, he died. Oh, I didn't know Oh, many, many years ago. He, uh, he played Coriolanus. He played Coriolanus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, well, he must have gone on to... Oh, no, he didn't. No, he, he, I mean, he died.
died, I mean, I imagine, I can't remember, but he died, I would imagine, in it, almost maybe in his 20s. Really? Or early 30s, yeah. No, that's just Derek Seaton as well, who died quite young. Uh, Derek, was also yeah, on, yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. The cast of that. Yeah, Derek Seaton, yeah, he, yeah, he was in, he was um, in, he was in um, Coriolanus playing... Uh, he was Ulysses in, Ulysses. in your, in your, your Troilus, yeah. Yeah, oh, in Troilus. Time hath my lord a wallet at its back, wherein it keeps arms for oblivion, a great-sized monster of ingratitude. Anyway, that's Ulysses. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, uh, that's just, so you remember parts you didn't even play? That's well, they're just sort of part words that sort of ring somehow. Me, I don't know, they sort of, me, I don't know why, but yeah, it's, you know, words that just resonate in one's mind or... Well, you mentioned before that, therefore, that, that it was the classics that, that really hit you. Is that is that for you, the bee's knees as an actor then? Or would, you, would you happily spend your time doing the classics? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm a jobbing actor. I've done, as I say, Wife Begins at 40. I've done all sorts of, you know, I've done work with Punch Trunk. I've done all sorts of sort of, you know, I've done the, the rep scene. I was, you know, my first job was 18 months at Nottingham Playhouse when John Neville was running it. And then followed by Stuart Burge for the last six months. You know, and, but the whole, as you know, I mean, the whole thing has changed completely. You know, now people go to rep. I don't know how young people do it. They go to rep and... Uh, a play here and a play there. You know, I mean, so as, as I say, I was 18 months Nottingham Playhouse, six months um, Birmingham Rep. I was then at Northampton for about six months, and I kept. I went back to, to uh, Northampton several times over, you know, over the over the years. But I mean, how young people do it now, you know, and you sort of, and I suppose. I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah, theatre's mainly where I've been at. I think as I get older, and I sort of feel that, uh, you know, I mean, the lines, you start thinking about, will I remember the f***ing lines? Or will I remember the lines? <laughs> you know, and so I sort of, you know, maybe I think now I would more, I'd be more interested, I am more interested in doing filming. You know, so, I mean, you, you, you talking earlier about um, my interest in old cars. I, was, I went up for um, an audition for a, a short film to play a, a rock singer. And uh, in that, they had a, a, a Morse Jaguar. You know, going back to, you know, whatever year that, you know, 1978. Jaguar. So I said, oh yeah, I drive a, you know, drive a 1973 Saab. So maybe that was one time when I did get the gig. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But one never knows why one gets a job or one doesn't get a job. One, either one's face fits or it doesn't or you, you know, whatever. And did you find the National Youth Theatre was a, was, a, was a good launch pad into a career? Yeah, um, well, no, not as good for me as Martin Jarvis or Helen Mirren or you know Richard Hampton or you know many others who you know who've done you know like Ken, Ken Cranham was in Troilus and Cressida he played Thucytes you know and a couple of times over the years I've understudied him you know so it's you know it's a sort of a funny 
You know, I mean, the, as you know, the business is a, a funny beast. It certainly is. You know, and you, you know, and, and you know, and I think you said this when you came to the equity branch. You're talking about your career. I sort of career from one moment to another, which is, you know, but. Um, I'll be a bit, but my love of Shakespeare certainly came with the youth theatre, and you know Richard II, Troilus and Cressida are you know probably well my favourite Shakespeare plays. Really? You know, yeah, yeah. I don't know Troilus and Cressida that well. Um, I've read them all, but I've, I've never seen Troilus. Right. Well, Giles directed a production of it at the Globe in what they call. Um, the original dialect. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Which was fascinating, and I love all that. Because often in Shakespeare, love seems to rhyme with move, and of course it doesn't. You know, and, 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 and in the um, uh, Troilus and Cressida that Giles did, they were saying, instead of saying war, they would say wah, like jar. You know, and instead of saying queen, they'd say quen. You know, so it's. Yeah, but, no, no, absolutely fascinating. And there was, uh, and there's a guy who, you know, who's studied all this and, you know, has got it down. To, you know, the actual pronunciation. Yeah, of the yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And they say, I don't know how true it is, that off the coast of America, on the on the east coast, there are some islands. I think off um, the Carolinas, there are some islands where they do almost speak the Shakespearean dialect. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, because the, well, the people who went there would have gone there around that time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... And it's not shifted over the years. That's well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so that's sort of, uh, yeah. Well, tell me about Nottingham and John Neville, because you did a, you did a, a, a play, and, um, I can't read my writing now, that you did, there was a, it was, the cast is John Neville, Ronald McGill, oh, aka okay, Amos from uh, Emmerdale, and you! Yes, well, that, that was a play called... Hang about it will come. It will come to me. And and John and Ronnie played um, gay hairdressers. And um, it was it was just a, and it was at that time. I mean, it was in nine, this was in nineteen. Uh, sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. There you go. Thank I God. Read that thank thank God you're here. So the play about these gay barbers was hairdressers was you know was really um, yeah it was uh, sort of groundbreaking yeah yeah and because because Neville lest we forget because later on he moved to Canada that's he right was a, he was a big oh force, Jesus and a fine actor oh yeah but I mean in the sixties which it was it was a you know I mean not that everything goes in those ten year things. But it was a time of hope. There was certainly a time of burgeoning regional theatre, you know, Nottingham, Birmingham, Coventry, Bristol, you know, all, you know, all, all you know, there was a burgeoning of theatre, I don't know about art in that sense, but there was a, bur you know, it was, it was a time of hope, which was shattered by subsequent um, decades. But, you know, there was a real, uh, to me, I remember where Giles and I were brought up in Dulwich, the, the wall paint, you know, on the skirting boards was brown. Everything seemed to be brown. You know, but then the 60s came along, 
you know, of course, with the Beatles and the Stones and, you know, and all that stuff going on, and Elvis Presley and God knows what was coming from America. But there was hope, you know, and I feel that I do feel a sense of hope now, now with Jeremy Corbyn. Well, yes, this is we're, we're, just uh, for the listeners' benefit. We're recording this less than a week after the election of 2017, which shall we say has thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. It's thrown the um, yeah no I mean absolutely. And I, you know, I was out canvassing for the Labour Party, you know, and I, even at the time thinking anything is possible, anything is possible, you know, and you think, you think, who, who'd advise, who advised Theresa the appeaser, as I call her? <laughs> you know, we'd had Trump, who'd have thought? We'd had Brexit, who'd have thought? Now, Mrs. May, following those two, what do you think your chances are? And of course it was, you know, and I, I was just, you know, really... Well, this is an, inter this is an interesting segment because we met um, because I gave a talk at an equity meeting, so you are obviously uh, active in your union as well. I'm, I'm reasonably active, yeah. So, as somebody that, that canvasses for the Labour Party that's active in his union, do you... Do you you're, you're not a cynic then you believe in you believe in in the ability for movements to change well I do and I was saying to a friend of mine the other day after the election result that what what's going to happen is you know the you know this is you know, the, the labor party has to has to turn into a movement it has to turn into a movement where all those... I mean, I, I was watching um, Channel 4 News the other night. Michael Crick, I think it was last night, and Michael Crick was saying that since the election, 35,000 new members have joined the Labour Party. Now, that has got to become a movement where people feel they are involved, feel they are able to change things, they are part of something. Now, you know, like when I was a kid, you were a kid, in, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, uh, you, you know, like the Scouts, I'm not suggesting that the Labour Party should become anything like the Scouts, but people young, and I'm not talking about that young age, but I'm talking about people feeling they belong to something, something which is real, something which is meaningful, because this world has gone completely Mm. Haywire, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Now, I mean, maybe people listening to this will think I'm a crackpot, but you, you know, you just look around and you, you know, we got, you know, we are the fifth largest economy, and yet we can't afford the health service. How, how does that work? We have um, people eating out of food banks when they're working as nurses. We have people on the streets. You know, there was somebody at Leicester Square Tube just now. You know, trying to get the money for a night somewhere. And in fact, when we met, I think was being moved on by the police when when we that, met. Well, that's right. There was, and that was, and that was another one. Yeah, standing around. Yeah, and you just think, you know, it can sound very funky what I say, but you know, I do believe. I am very optimistic. I'm a very optimistic person, and I do think, you know, even when I was knocking on doors, you know, for the Labour Party. And there were people within the Labour Party saying he's unelectable, he's unelectable, he's unelectable for two years. And those, you know, had we not had that, 
we could have won. We could have won. And we've never had such a socialist program manifesto since Attlee. And it's even more left-wing than Attlee. Now, obviously, I'm a left-winger. <laughs> you know, which... You always have been, have you? Yeah, I can remember, I can remember saying to my mother, well, I don't, know how, I don't know how old I was, probably, I wasn't well, I used to have asthma as a kid, and they used to give me ephedrine, which is a banned substance now, no, 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 quite, ephedrine, and it would go, and you would go into another zone, you would, you know, you were out there, and I can't remember what happened, but there was some, something going on politically, and I don't think I really knew what I was saying, but I said, why, Mum, why can't we have a world federation? Well, I feel emotional saying that. Do you remember what her answer was? No, no, I don't remember what her answer was. But, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know we are just human beings. And like that song, I'm many human. You know, that is... But it's interesting that you say that because you asked that question as a child. And I think as we get older, we sometimes stop stop allowing ourselves to think on the simpler level that a, ch that a child might speak. And that saying, out of the mouths of babes... Yeah, well, my daughter, who lives in... I was married to an American, and that went belly up and she took my kids to America and Edith who lives in Boston William lives in Philadelphia Edith just has just been to um, Israel part of her course part of what she she's a counselor and you know works with families where the kids are um, you know running going through tough times and how do you you know how do you bring people back together or you know and she almost said exactly the same thing when she was in Israel why can't we just live together now of course it's not a, a simple answer to a simple question you know and in fact she said you know one group's got power it means another group hasn't got power so I emailed her and actually I, I FaceTimed her last night I emailed her and I said if we have a society, a truly democratic society, where everybody is equal, you know, I mean, I know this is a dream, so it's like John Lennon's Imagine, which is, as you would imagine, one of my favourite, well, my favourite, one of my favourite songs, and will be played at my funeral. Um, you know, if you have a, a society where everybody feels involved, you know, no, I'm, I'm quoting Jeremy Corbyn, it's for the many, not the few. If you have a society which is really, truly based on that, I have another trite saying, if you give up half of it, you can have it all. You know, which I, I do believe, you know. And, if, and just because, you know, and, and so power can be equally shared. At the moment, I'm reading a book on the revolution of the levelers, which actually, a lot of it goes over my head and it's sort of too detailed for me to... But, you know, those are the guys in, you know, around Cromwell and the diggers and the levelers were different groups who were vying and opposing Cromwell in many ways in, you know, how society could be could be organised. So, um... We've got a, we've no, got a this is, I think this is lovely. I think this is really, this is much more interesting than anecdotes about well, tomorrow, people, uh, or whatever. Um, 
Staircase. Staircase. Staircase is the name of the play. I can read it now. Staircase. Staircase. Yes. But okay, let's so let's take the politics part of it back into the profession, and we touched upon it. The equity element. When I was considering becoming an actor. You know, equity was a close shop if you yeah. weren't an equity member um, yeah. you did work that's right that, yeah. that is not the case yeah. now so but as somebody that's obviously taken a close interest in the union how, how do you see the differences in the profession then now to, to when you started oh well apart from you know uh, you know people getting into a rep company for a year for a season or whatever or doing a tour and then because you had to be an equity you had to get your 40 weeks before you could do a bit of telly, before you could work in the West End, I think it's. I mean, it's complete. I mean, it, it is it's completely different. And how kids start, God knows. I mean, I, I, I have no idea. I think I was in the golden time of the youth theatre. You know, if you think of the people who came through it and who, you know, went on to have really good careers. And I think I was at the tail. I'm still at the tail end of the golden time of theatre and equity. Because when it was a closed shop, you you know you you had to do you you know do your apprenticeship. I remember when I was at Nottingham Playhouse, we were doing um, a play in which I played a player uh, a six. I mean, yeah, I was whatever I was in my late twenties, and I was you know making up with all the you know the late liner and the five and nine in a grey wig and a grey beard to play. Um, this 65-year-old, my parents came to see it, and they didn't recognise me. You know, I'm not saying that that's what you do, but you learn your craft. You know, and some of them, you know, and those people, you know, I mean, I, I, and I think success. No, I mean, what it depends what you mean by success. But I think a, a continuing career, as opposed to you know me being a job and actor, ducking and diving. It comes from momentum. You know, you go from one thing to another. You go from one thing, and it's just where you get a lucky break. It's where you're seen about, you know, seen doing something, and that fits in with somebody else. You know, it is all, you know, there's so much lady luck. I remember once coming out of it. Leicester Square 2 a little while ago and I bumped into a casting director who I know this is some time ago and uh, she said oh hello how are you you know and uh, she got me in for a casting I didn't get the job but that's sort of neither here nor there and then I was at um, also going back to Staircase they did it at the uh, RSC and a friend of mine Roger Lloyd Pack played the same part that I played which, in, which was just the shadow of a policeman at a rainy door, handing in a summons, or whatever, I think that's what I was doing, handing in a summons. But then I went to Roger's funeral, and I met another casting director there, and she said, my God, do you look like that now? Oh my Lord, yes. Or, you know. So I said, yeah, I look like this now, now. Whatever that meant. You know, so it's, you know, you, I mean, the whole thing is lady luck. You know, what you do and how you do it. And, you, you know, you've, one's got to be positive. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's changed dramatically. I mean, hugely. But, and, and the thing about the positivity side of things is that there aren't many actors who sustain that career. I've, I've interviewed 250 actors for this podcast. Yeah. 
most people stop do something else. I, c- I, I can't do anything else. <laughs> well, you know. But to sustain the career is, is, is an achievement of an event. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah to, to still be breathing <laughs> is, quite, is, is an achievement. Well, you know. Was the Leslie Phillips thing, was that your first West? Was, did that, that, well, was that I did. First um, yeah. Yeah, I played, as you know, Leslie's son. Called, funnily enough, called Giles. Yeah. Giles Cadwallader. Giles Cadwallader. Yes. The, the, the man most likely to. The man most likely to. Directed by and starring Leslie Phillips. <laughs> Correct. And um, I mean, he. I mean, he was uh, an ex- extraordinary. He was extraordinary. And um, I would, yeah, invariably, my line was a feed for him to get get his laugh and I would say my line and I'd be standing as close as we are now which is shoulder to shoulder and the and um, and the audience would would no he, he would say his line he would get his laugh and the audience would be laughing my line would be coming next and he would go wait Wait, wait, now. But I mean, I mean, sort of. You think, give a bloke a break. But actually, it taught me timing, and he could time a cough. He would be talking away, stop. Somebody would cough, and he'd start again. And I do it. I now, you know, say, you know, like in this noisy room. If there was a sudden noise, I would, and then pick up again. I mean, he was extraordinary. And there was one night, it was at the Duke of York's. Briefly the story, I come back from university with my girlfriend. Leslie fences my girlfriend. Anyway, so I'm not allowed to sleep with my girlfriend. So, I can't remember the intricate details, but anyway, I end up on the chaise long in the living room, completely covered by a blanket. Oh, and, and Leslie's character thinks it's um, my girlfriend. So he comes down and starts fiddling around under the blanket. And then I, you know, and, and the audience, Saturday night, the audience are pissing themselves. And um, I pop up, and he, and he, and he, and he oh, 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 nice to see you, Giles, all flustered. And then somebody in the box, the stage box, says, oh, before, before I'm revealed, go on, Leslie, go on, Leslie, you know, and all that. And he turns around, I pop up, and Leslie says to me, oh, 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 nice to see you, Giles. And he turns around to the stage box, and he says, but it's not nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth wall fell down. The fourth wall fell down, yeah. And there was uh, another night when he was going on holiday. And um, I, mean, I can't remember the timing now, but let's say we came down at quarter past ten. He had a plane to catch. We came down at half past nine. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. Drive went straight through all the laughs. Straight through, straight through, straight through. It was extraordinary. Well, and from the ridiculous to the sublime, you know, we've talked about the classical stuff. You were in that first... Am I right in thinking that... Was the, I know you did, you did Albert Finney's Hamlet. I know you did it for the tour, didn't you? No, 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 no. No, I was at the, I was at the, on the South Bank. Oh, the, so, and was that the Nationals' 
first production at the South? No, the first production was Tambourine. Oh, which you were also in? I was, yeah. How do you do... T- I, 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 I did Tambourine at university. I read it and I thought, how do you ever put this on stage? Um, with difficulty. <laughs> yeah. With great difficulty. We, um... I got, the, I got the job because this is coming back to understudying Ken Cranham. Right. I was I just got married, or my son was just born, and a friend of mine, Tom Marshall, had been understudying up at Wyndham's in no man's land. So I wrote to the National Theatre saying, can I audition to for the understudy? So, so I understudied, first of all, no man's land. Um, Michael Feast or Michael Kitchen, I can't remember which it was at the time, which was wonderful. And watching... It was Feast, wasn't it? It may have been. With... Um, oh, Sir Ralph and Sir John. Sir Ralph and Sir John. It was oh, Michael yeah. Feast, yeah. Right. And I would watch that show, that play, night after night, just to watch those two. You know, because, I mean... I mean, Sir Ralph, a Tory. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, he was—he was—he wasn't mad, but he was certainly in a world of his own in many ways. But he was just so wonderful to watch, and, and, John, and Sir John Gilgood, equally wonderful to watch. And the, I just—that's yeah, and, yeah. and I went to see it recently with Canada um, Stewart. Yeah, which I thought, which I, I found so moving, you know, because I, you know, because of one. You know, well, as an actor, you get involved in things, and you, you know, and I just, I found that really, really you know, and it was a lovely production. Um, but so anyway, so I watched, so, you know, going back to when I was understudying, I never had to go on then. But then they brought in comedians, and it was also a National Theatre production, I'm assuming. The Trevor Griffiths? Yeah. Was Jonathan Price? Was it the Jonathan Price one? No, 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 no. This was Ken Cranham, Jim, Stephen Ray. Oh, oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Hill, I think, was in it. Yeah. And the Irish um, Jim, I can't remember his name now. Jim, really, not really good actor. I mean, good actor. Jim Norton. Jim Norton. Jim Norton. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. And I understudied Ken, and I had, and I got a phone call one day. Um, you're on, a, you're on on the matinee, so I had to shave my head. Yeah, because Ken had a number one, and I had to shave my head and go on and do this thing. And, and, and what is extraordinary is um, the eyes of the people you're going on with. You never rehearsed with them, and you can see what the hell's going to happen now. But it was good. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. And then I went to the National, and on the strength of that, I I went down to work at the National and to be in Tamburlaine. And I remember Peter Hall saying, at the first day of rehearsal, I've been wanting to do this since I was at university. And I thought, oh, right, here we go. You know, but it, but it, but and because they were building the building, an opening was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. But um, yeah, we we finally yeah we we, we got it on to um, I think great success. And Albert Finney played mm. the main man, and uh, yeah, it was good. And then later on, when I was at the National, I was there seventy six to seventy six to seventy eight. 
and uh, my daughter was born in 1978 and um, I was rehearsing for a thing called Tales from the Vienna Woods and Annie Robinson, one of the casting directors, came down I was in the Olivier rehearsing and Annie Robinson tried to catch my attention and I went, what, 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 what? She said, can you go on tonight in the Littleton in no man's land? I said, what? She said, can you go on tonight in the Littleton in no man's land? I hadn't seen the play for a year so yeah and Maximilian Schell was directing Tales from the Vienna Woods and uh, so I uh, I said yeah 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 because they, they were bringing it back for like I can't remember that half a dozen farewell performances before they finally put it to bed so I, I wasn't Maximilian Schell wouldn't let me go before four o'clock or something and the thing you know, it goes up at 8 o'clock or 7.30 or whatever it was. So I then got um, a very good dear friend of mine, Jonathan... Um, I can't remember his second name. That's that good a friend who sadly died as well uh, to go through the lines with me. And I went, you know, and I went through the, the lines and uh, stood by the door. But the, you know, the curtain went up and I didn't know that Peter Hall had announced to the audience that... Timothy Block, who wasn't, he didn't go say all this, is going on because Michael Kitchen, or I think it was Michael Kitchen then, right? I can't remember, um, is unavailable. So Timothy Block has stepped into the breach or whatever he said. And I was standing by the door, you know, the queue came, deep breath, on. And I, you know, I got through it and, um, and at the end of the, at the end of it, the character I was playing finished. Sorry. That's all right, <laughs> Finished right upstage of Sir, John, uh, Sir Ralph's chair, and it was blackout. And Sir Ralph said, "Do you know where to go?" I said, "No." He said, "Well, go over there." It was still a blackout. I thought, "No, I'm just going to stay here till the lights go up to know where I'm going to go and take my curtain call." So anyway, so the lights came up, and Sir Ralph was still gesturing me to go to the right. I went to the right, and you know, hands together. And you know, Peter Hall and Peter and uh, Harold Pinter were you know, delighted, you know, um, with what I'd done. But well, no, quite, yeah. I, I mean, my heart's fluttering just hearing about that. You must, have, I must have been extraordinarily nerve-wracking. Well, you, I just think there's an element of steel somewhere. You just do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. He's got to, yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know, you're jumping out the plane. You, you, you got to do it. And you know, I'd had rehearsals. Sebastian Graham Jones had rehearsed me in, you know, all those, well, a year, you know, a year prior. Um, and it was all in there somewhere. Well, it was all, and it was all in there somewhere. I don't, it wouldn't be all in there now. <laughs> and, when, and you did the, the keep, the film for Michael Mann. I did Mann, the Michael Mann. That was that. Yeah, was, how was that? That was, um, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, fairly, yeah, Craig, we, we were up in Snowdonia. Um, I think we were up there for six weeks, and again, it was a supporting role. I suppose the, the story is don't take supporting roles. I suppose is the answer to one of these things, but, uh, but it's just the luck of the draw. And, we, and they built the set of the keep, which is um, was um, it was 
it took place in, um, I think it was meant to be Romania or Bulgaria. Funnily enough, I'm just reading a book about the war in Bulgaria called The Lemon Tree, partly because because it's about Israel-Palestine. And my daughter said, read it. And she, having, as I said, gone to Palestine, gone to Israel. Um, so they built the, um, the set for this film in um, a slate quarry. So you couldn't see, you saw no horizon. So everything was in the bottom of a slate quarry. And there was a lift which took us down, took military vehicles down. It was set in the Second World War, I don't know if I said that. Um, it took military vehicles down, took animals down, cows and sheep. Everything was taken down in a lift because Michael Mann didn't want any horizon. He wanted it to be that just that black, okay. you know. And it, 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 it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was some experience. And in fact, that's where I first came across a Saab, an, an, an old Saab, because I was given a lift by Ian Ruskin to Snowdonia. He had a white one, a white Saab, and. Um, that's the first time I ever went in one. And it was a quite a, co a cool car, quite a cute car. It's got a free wheel on it, which is, you know, a, a gear shift on the, on the, you know, not on the floor, but on the column. And um, I've, had, I've had many, 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 many V4s, Saab V4s, 9.6 V4s, and a 9.5, which has got the shooting brake version. Which I used to, the kids used to when we used to go camping. They were sort of dicky seats in the back, and uh, they used to um, face backwards, giving V signs to the following motorists. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, so I've, I, I've had a lot of them. And funnily enough, I got Ian Ruskin went to America, and I can't remember how, but I got this email about something going on, I it was at RADA, and it was Ian Ruskin was doing a, um, a one-man show about Tom Paine, who, as you know, was instrumental in the American um, Revolution and also in the French Revolution. So, two reasons I thought to go and see this. So I went to see it, and it was, it was, and it was yeah, and it was a very good show. And I waited around afterwards, and for Ian, and uh, he came on stage, and I said, "Hi, Ian," and he didn't recognise me. And I, on my phone, I had a photograph of my Saab. So I said, "Do you reckon I, you know, have an ear?" And I said, "We, you know." Then I told him, you know. He said, "My God, my God," you know. But he does this one-man show, and uh, he's come back, you know, he lives in America. But funny how sort of things, you know, synchronicity, or oh, things connect, or things, you know, pop up, you know. You know, I mean, like you come into the equity branch. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> sort of, oh, whoa. I know, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah. So, so favourite jobs, then? My last job, I, I mean, I would not well, well, Should we say latest? <laughs> the last. Latest. It was um, called Shakespeare Within the Abbey. And it was advertised as Mark Rylance leads a group or troop, or probably a group, of 
um, Globe Theatre actors. And we were in Westminster Abbey doing speeches and sonnets. And again, it was amongst the audience. The audience, there were 350 people who bought you know, tickets. And we only did it four times over the weekend of Shakespeare's birthday, April the 23rd. And to see that, I, I can't remember the last time I went there. But, I mean, probably when I was 10, I mean, I had no idea. But to see that building with so few people in it was just phenomenal. It was just amazing. And 350 people would come in and they didn't know whether we were actors. Some were dressed up as in the red of the, you know, the people who worked there, the stewards who worked there. I decided to wear a city suit, something I never wear. But I wore a city suit, which I've had for many years. And, and you would, you know, you would, you would mingle with the people and um, you would go up and do a sonnet or a speech and, 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 and uh, Mark Rylance was doing Richard II. And of course Richard II is buried there. <laughs> and he was doing he was doing his stuff there and I was also doing a speech from Richard II. I was doing a speech of John and Gaunt. But it was just magical. It was just magical. And the other day when I was there I was campaigning for the Labour Party. It happened twice actually. Once when I was outside Ballam Station, this woman came up to me and she said I just have to say thank you for the doing that stuff in Westminster Abbey. Wow. And I said, oh, oh, yes, yes. Would you like a leaflet? You know. And then her husband drove by, the, you know, drove by and said, stop picking up those actors. You know, just to... And then the other, and then last week sometime, before the election, obviously, this guy ran up to me and he said, not political, not political. I just have to say how wonderful it was to see you and the others doing your stuff in Westminster Abbey. Wow. And it, but I mean, it was, it was just magical, and such a privilege to be there doing, you know, and the, you know, it was a small job, but it, you know, it meant, you know, meant a lot to me, and it was, yeah, it was, yeah, that was, you know, I've enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed my two years at the National, <clears throat> I've enjoyed my time at, I mean, I've enjoyed what I've done. You know, you know, doing you know short films of it. You know, I mean, I enjoy doing it. Would like, you know, rather, you know, you know, like to have done more. But I get the impression you'll not, you'll, you'll never stop. Well, I hope not. No, I hope not. No. I mean, yeah, I hope not. And who are the best? Because you've worked with some amazing actors. Oh, phenomenal! I mean, phenomenal. Who, who are the best actors that you've worked with? Though? Well, Mark Rylance is. I mean, I just think you know he's you know Sir Ralph, Sir John. I mean, all the guys you mentioned, you know, who were in Julius Caesar. You just ran. You know, it's it's you know. You know, and they're, you know, they're just wonderful. I mean, I went to see um, Glenda Jackson's Lear. Yes. You know, that I means phenomenal. You know, she, you know, she was phenomenal. You know, you know. So there are, you know, there are, <coughs> there are you know, and what is doesn't amaze me really, but but behind so many doors, you know, on the on the you know on the high street or wherever it is, there's talent. There's a guy who lives in Ballam, who. Is this wonderful blues guitarist and singer, chap called Wiz Jones. Now, probably most people have never heard of him, 
but he was a contemporary of John Renborn, Bert Jansch, you know, and a, and a lot of, you know, top guitarists. So he is, was, he was somebody they emulated, you know, and um, Ralph McTell, you know, who made a big hit with Streets of London. You know, and Wiz is still playing. You know, I go whenever I can see him, I go and see him. He did a gig down. He, he brought out a new CD the other week, and I went with a mate to see him down at the Selkirk Pub in Tooting. You know, you know. So you know, but there are many, you know, excellent actors out there who, you know, like me, job around and do a bit here and a bit there, and do a voiceover here and a voiceover there, bit of radio, bit of. You know, corporate stuff or, you know, advert. I was once the voice of Sharp's bed, bedrooms. Ah. Yes, for a year. <laughs> well, you're talking to the voice of the Philida Supermops. Uh, oh, well, there you go. Between us. <laughs> you could clean up. <laughs> yeah, I'll mop it up and put it yeah, 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 yeah. Well, look, I only have the two, the two final questions. Right. You've been more than generous with your time. We're going to carry this on off mic. But um, uh, the first is um, you've given your time very kindly, very freely. So what is the charity that you would like the listener to donate to? Well, because I have it, mildly, the Colitis and Crohn's, whatever they call themselves, Colitis and Crohn's. Yeah, I have it very mildly. I don't know I've got it. Um, a, a quick story. Yeah. Every now and again you have an end endoscopy. Camera up the bum. And I was doing that, um, I was having this pro you know, procedure done, and always there's a, there's a nurse at your head saying, you're all right, all right, Johnson Water mops your brow, and, you know, does all the good stuff. And at the other end, the camera is, you know, going in, in your bum, and it's fine, you know, hey, you know. And um, she was saying, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm an actor. She said, oh, might I have seen you? I said, well, you might have heard me recently. She, I said, did you see any of that? Um, stuff about Elizabeth the first. She said, "Oh gosh." She said, "Yeah, that yeah, that was good." I said, "Well, you know the torture scene where they're being hung, drawn, and quartered, and all that." She said, "Oh, God, that's that's horrid." I said, "Well, that a lot of that was me going." Ah! And the doctor says, "You're right, you're right." I said, "Sorry, sorry, sorry." I was I was just acting. I was just acting. <laughs> well, I got that, and then there's also through that. And, and when, you know, when I got it, I was about 40, and I thought, of course, it's cancer, you know, cancer of the stump bowel. Or and then I, instead of and I started saying to myself, when you feel down, why not me? Which is so different from saying, why me? Why not me? Why not me? I can deal with this, you know, and I have it very mildly, you know. Oh, my daughter knows somebody who's almost housebound with them. Yeah, but yeah, so I'm, you know, you're a seize the day sort of fella. Yeah, yeah, but, well, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, 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 I suppose so. And we nominally, uh, we've talked about so many far more interesting things, but we nominally convened to talk about Doctor Who, so the final question is, this is listened to by Doctor Who fans the world over. Would you? Uh, so what is your message to the Doctor Who fans out there? Just keep being Doctor Who fans and just enjoy it, you know. Go with the flow, as a friend of mine says. Well, bless you well for your time and for being no, so no, open no. to this, especially at the last minute as well. Uh, <laughs> Timothy Block, thank you very much. Well, thank you.
That was great. Wowzers. Yeah, that was wow. We did an hour. That's an hour. Yeah. Amazing. That's brilliant. Thank you. My thanks to Tim, who uh, is he perhaps the only one of the, the only brothers with him and Giles who've both done Who's Round, keeping it in the family? Anyway, I'm sure somebody will compile a spreadsheet somewhere. Now listen, uh, his charity is uh, Crohn's and Colitis UK, which is Crohn's, which is spelled C-R-O-H-N-S and Colitis c-o-l-i-t-i-s cronesandcolitis.org.uk um, so if you can give to that uh, I know obviously Christmas is a burden on one's resources but every little helps uh, thanks for listening there will be another one of these a Christmassy one of these next week my thanks to Ian Atkins Paddy Freeland Sue Cowley as ever and uh, to Tim of course for taking part um, speak to you soon take care bye bye Uh, you, you might want to grab hold of something. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Devil in the Mist. Hello, I'm the Doctor. I believe I owe you an apology. Step out of the box. Whoa, you pose in space armor. It's not something you see every day. What did you call us? Tegan, Chameleon, Tello. These are the Harrogane, a noble race of warriors known throughout the universe for their understanding and forgiveness. This was an act of sabotage. You are in league with the prisoner. What prisoner? Captain, the force field. I, I can't hear the force field. There's a good reason for that. Keep back. What's happening down there? If that prisoner's escaped, none of us are safe. Indeed, the Zamgliti enslaved billions through a combination of mind control and intimidation. Their empire prospered for over 300 years. So where is he now? Where indeed? Please, please don't let him. A real meeting of minds. Just wait a minute. What's all this about a prisoner? Are we in trouble here? Are we always? Against the wall. I suggest we do what she says. But Captain, if this prisoner has escaped, then we're all dead. Big finish. We love stories. We have to get back to the TARDIS. Finally.